Shaw, uh, Shaw has the God Rock survey the audience and warns it not to chatter or cough. We could add now and turn off your cell phones. <laughs> in Too True to Be Good, an actor tells an audience at the end of the first act, the play is virtually over, but the characters will discuss it at great length for two acts more. <laughs> the exit doors are now all in order. Good night. <clears throat> Shattering stage illusions for Shaw meant more than exploding obsolete ideas. In Bunyan-esque terms, and The Pilgrim's Progress is paradoxically the critical book of Shaw's life, I think, he talked about the scrap heap in, uh, in the prefaces to Man and Superman and Major Barber. In Major Barber, in the preface, he contended, I do not call a salvationist, and he was certainly one himself, really saved until he is ready to lie down cheerfully on the scrap heap having paid Scott and Lot something over, and let his eternal life pass on to renew its youth in the battalions of the future. Shaw repeated this Bunyan-esque phraseology in many different ways and contexts in his writings. I think he recognized that his own work included candidates for the scrap heap, not only plays, but polemics, essays, reviews, fiction. Literary archaeologists would still scour the scrap heap, uh, but these leavings may not be viable much longer uh, as independent works. It's true that Bardolivers will leave nothing of Shakespeare's output undisturbed. Some of his poetry is turgid, some of his plays are terrible, but they are wholly writ, and it's a certainty that some scholar will publish an unread book on Venus and Adonis or the Rape of Lucrece, and that some director hungry for a new spin on Shakespeare will find a clever way to do Coriolanus in a Third Reich setting uh, or Timon of Athens in Louis XVI's Paris. Uh, one of the serious dilemmas facing scholars and productions of Shaw is the Lewis copyright law, which doesn't affect Shakespeare, who died in 1616, or even Chekhov, who died in 1904. The newest revisions to copyright promoted most forcefully by the Walt Disney Company, which didn't want Mickey Mouse to fall into the public domain and become freely accessible and adaptable, extends copyright protection in most countries to 70 years beyond the writer's death. Shaw's copyrights now extend in most places in the world to 2020. Until then, unless the public trustee for the Shaw estate becomes flexible about how Shaw is published and played, there may be difficulties about imaginatively restaging some of Shaw and reprinting his plays. If the publishers of a textbook anthology, in the interests of their bottom line, may not reprint Heartbreak House or St. Joan because it's expensive, students will fail to have the experience of encountering them. They'll use something that's free, something in the public domain. The Shaw State earns income for three beneficiaries, the British Museum and Library, the Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, and the National Gallery of Ireland. Very likely, these worthy institutions are reluctant to, re to relinquish any of their royalties. Uh, I don't know if they relax old fee structures in order to earn something rather than nothing. I'm not up to date on that, because I haven't had to deal with it. The problem for those who value Shaw is how to keep interest in him from withering while and if the copyright law is being rigidly enforced. Copyright may accelerate the progress of much of Shaw to the scrap heap, 
unless the years 2020 can be exploited within the law. And I've suggested ways in which you can uh, restage and replay Shaw uh, without worrying about copyright. I won't propose candidates among Shaw's plays for the scrap heap, uh, copyright or no. I leave that to those of you who uh, will look for new ways to make them vivid, or new ways to send ticket buyers to the box office to see them. If both strategies converge successfully, the plays live. If they cannot, we leave them to the archaeologists. Another, in some ways, related challenge is how to make Shaw's work so essential that departments of English and theater will again seek faculty appointments from scholars who do graduate study on Shaw. At present, the doctoral dissertation on Shaw is almost certainly a license to wait on tables or drive a taxi. <laughs> As a result, the study of Shaw universities, but for a play or two, has nearly ceased, and productions in academic settings have diminished to nearly nothing. Fads and fashions are at work all the time in academia. For example, a dissertation on the verse dramas of W.B. Yeats, even on a single play, may be the entree to a university appointment, although the plays are dreary and almost entirely unproduced outside of summer seminars and conferences on Yeats. It's one of the many baffling anomalies in academia. Did Shaw do himself in by doing being too lucid? Is there nothing for scholars to footnote? Are there no obscurities to explain in an article for a journal? Is there no built-in controversy? Actually, Shaw's plays are full of tantalizing ambiguities and inconclusive endings. He created characters playable from a variety of motives and perspectives. His plays are as full of doubts as of certainties. Even Shaw's Victorian and Edwardian language has lost, has lost its cogency in places, just as its politics has been superseded. One must coach a cast into learning what his words meant in their time, and perhaps substitute other language more relevant, or drop the dialogue. What does snobby Price in Major Barber mean when he says sardonically to Jenny, the Salvation Army girl, that she should fetch down on his back Peter Shirley a mug of sky blue? I've seen productions where the thirsty Shirley is literally handed a blue teacup, a mug of sky blue. Sky blue was once London talk for watery milk, but in circles for which snobby price came, it's slang for gin. It's intended as a brutal and unfair judgment of Shirley, yet it passes over him rather than disconcerts him, as snobby hopes, because Shirley doesn't belong to the low-life sector from which that crudity comes. A telling understanding, if we understand it, perhaps we need variorum editions of Shaw, uh, to clarify for readers and actors such lines obscured by change in time. But who and what would finance them? What would be the academic fate of the assiduous scholars if I produced them? Years ago, the Sunday New York Times, just prior to the summer season, uh, would publish a page or two titled The Straw Hat Circuit, a list of summer theaters largely in the Northeast from Virginia to Maine, and their offerings from June into September. Out of curiosity, I used to circle the Shaw offerings. Perhaps 50 productions of nearly 20 different plays would make the list. A similar page today would note few productions, few of any, beyond Niagara on the Lake. Why? 
audience allegedly don't go? Do they stay away because Shaw isn't produced for copyright or box office reasons? Because audiences haven't heard of him? Because the plays are corpses? Or because the productions are stale? Shaw can become more broadly vital again. Those who value his work have to confront and surmount those challenges. I've suggested a, a few answers, uh, but they may not be the relevant one for every Shaw play and for every production. Uh, I'm ancient now, after all, and a candidate for the scrap heap myself. Thank you. And the result was that 
works that went out of copyright after 56 years, uh, according to some publishers and producers, can't be grandfathered closed back into copyright. I understand that. And so that's why earlier works can be used. I, I understand that. But it's 50 years after the author's death, it's not, it's not that equally involved in the 